Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 57. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. What's up? Suffering from allergies today. Yeah, I knew I knew you were going to bring that up. The, the allergy season is in full effect here. If I go golfing next day, regardless of taking any allergy pill, just get KO'd for like a, for an hour, my sneeze and stuff. But it is what it is. Yeah. For the love of the game. I could tell you were suffering a little bit today, the way you were walking around, a little bit antisocial today. You're usually more social. But I do want to say, we golfed yesterday, myself and Johnny. Both put in great rounds, by the way. Banger rounds. I think both are lows for the year. Yeah, so far. So far. Um, but we were forced to walk the course yesterday, which does not make Johnny happy. And when I say we were forced to walk the course, I showed up to the course earlier, like I usually do, try to putt a little bit, whatever. And uh, I saw no power carts outside. Power have been out for a few days. So it was just the pull carts. Well, we had a, we had a big storm here, like a windstorm, which knocked the power out uh, of a couple locations. Um, and it's been slowly just getting it back over the last couple of days. So yeah, that particular course that we played had no power. I actually walked in to the clubhouse. He was like an early morning round. I walked into the clubhouse just to check in. I said, here we go. I noticed he wrote my name down on a paper. I, the sun was coming up. I couldn't really tell there was no lights on in the thing, but because he, he had his computer behind the desk. Um, he wrote my name on a paper, which I thought was a little weird. Like, why is he not checking me in on, on the system? <laughs> And then I was like, um, so can I grab a key for a cart? And then the guy was just like, ha, buddy, power's out. Couldn't charge him. You're walking today. I said, oh, my God. Grab the, one of those pull carts. I hate walking the course. I hate it, man, especially, especially in allergy season because like I'm just walking just straight kicking through dandelions. No, I'm not like, I'm, no, not, the not, best, like, I'm not the best golfer. Listen, yeah, we spray the, the ball. We spray the, cor- the course is kept well, but I'm not the, sh- I'm not the golfer who's putting it like right down the pipe every time. Like, you know, oftentimes playing a little left might be in a, in, a, in rough, still in play, but I got to go through those dandelions and not the best. Uh, I got to the course in the morning. I also walked into the clubhouse. I'm like, Hey buddy, no, no carts. The guy's like, no power. No carts, no Tim Hortons. (laughs) I'm like, oh man, you couldn't even get a coffee. He's like, no, no Tim Hortons. Tim's was out of power. Immediately I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, Johnny's going to be so upset when he gets here because not only is he not going to be able to take a cart, but he's definitely hitting that Tim Hortons by the course and there's no way he's going to be able to get a coffee. You know, I did hit that Tim Hortons. (laughs) I didn't even tell you. I went to the Tim Hortons and there was like a line of two people in the drive-thru. And I was just like, oh, perfect. It's, it's open. And then I went there and then there was a sign there saying like power outage. And there was definitely no power inside the Tim Hortons. And I'm like, rolled down the window and there was a guy in the drive-thru. I'm like, hey, is it open? Like he's been waiting there. He's like, yeah. And then I waited there for a bit. And then I, that guy was just didn't know what he was talking about. dude. It wasn't open. No. He was waiting there for nothing. Like there was a, there was signs like we're experiencing power outage should be back and I think they they did open it up later that day, um, but yeah that that Timmy's was out I went straight, Yui back out to the course no coffee, <laughs> we had to walk the full course, was it was a nice day though beautiful yeah day. It, it, yesterday was beautiful I so last year 
there was a day where it rained in the morning and we were playing in the afternoon and it was a cart path only day. I'm like, I'm not take, I don't, I, I hate cart path only because I spray the ball everywhere too. But normally my miss would be like a slice. I'm a right-handed golfer. The cart paths on this, our home course is usually on the left. I'm like, I'm not running across the fairways with four clubs in my hand, get my distance or whatever. I'm not doing this. So I show up at the first tee with my pull cart. Johnny's there. He's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm walking today. He's like, I will seriously go home. I'm not playing with you if you're walking. You're going to slow everything down. I'm like, it's cart path only, man. We're going to be running all over the place. It's going to be a disaster. He's like, I'm telling you right now, go and get a cart or I'm going home. <laughs> you have an option. You could play alone or you can get a cart. And by the way, these are COVID rules. We couldn't share carts at the time. So I'm like, all right, I went and got a cart. That day, when we were done, you did admit to me, you're like, you know, maybe we could have walked. It was really slow with the carts. But yesterday, we're, we tee off first hole. Johnny's drive goes left. Very visible. Like from the tee, we knew where it went. Like we could, it was just an Apache rough on the left. But we're all, me, Johnny, and his brother are just walking around looking for this ball. And we can't find this ball. And he is so triggered from the walking. He's like, this is so stupid. We're walking around. We can't find anything. A ball could be anywhere. If we had a cart, we could drive around and whatever. It did take us a while to find the ball, but we found it. It was just like tucked under the rug. It wasn't even like in a bad area. It no, was no. right there. It's I like do you get, get a cart. Yeah. You just dr drive right up quick. You get a nice look. You be back. Oh, there it is right there. When you're walking, you're just like, you, you can't even cover ground. I get I love it. walking the course. I love walking. No, you, you can never play with Johnny. By hole number three, you didn't even like walking that course. It, it, it's at least level. It's at least level. It wasn't too bad. Listen, my preference is not to walk, but if it's path only and it's it's a level course, I'll consider walking. And also, like, I don't mind walking. This is not my preference. But by hole number three, Johnny here is like, Damn it, I, I just cleaned these sh golf shoes. I just washed these <laughs> shoes. I'm walking through all this grass. I'm like, dude, they're golf shoes, man. Like, he's like, I, I just cleaned the, I just cleaned these shoes. He was miserable. The first like four or five holes, he's miserable. But we got to like hole 15 or 16. He's like, Rob, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually kind of enjoyed the walk today. It's like, I got it some was, good exercise. It's a, it a nice day. I kind of, I he's like, I'm feeling it in my legs a little bit, but I actually kind of did enjoy walking. Like I'm not used to walking the course, but in no means am I in like bad shape or anything like that. It's like more like just your feet kind of hurt a little. You're, you're on your feet all day. Like golf shoes are not the most comfortable yeah. walking shoes. Uh, they have the cleats in them, obviously. Like they're not, they're not the best for walking, but anyways, I'll never walk again unless I have to because I don't golf for the exercise. Like golf is not an exercise for me. I get it. Same with me. Although I've played my best rounds when I walked. I don't know why that is. I really don't know, but I will say it's going to sound sad to people out there, but like I kind of felt it in my legs last night a little bit when I was at home night. I'm like, ah, you know, my legs are, you do a lot of walking. You don't really realize how much you're doing over the course of four hours, but I'm, I'm fine with it overall. I'm not as anti walk as you are. I think yeah. I have a theory for why you play better when you walk. You don't rush. Like when you're in the cart, you're like, get to the ball, hit the ball, go. When you walk, you're like, you're looking at the course as you go up there, looking at things as you're approaching the ball, like you're coming up to it. You kind of get maybe just subconsciously getting a read on it. Then you get up there, hit the ball, 
make your way on to the next one. You're not like just flying through the round. You want, you want to hear a very funny story. Adam Chernoff, friend of the program. Um, we had, we had him on circles off earlier this year. He was going to be in Toronto for the launch of, of sports books on April 4th, regulated gaming. And we were trying to set up some sort of golfing thing with him. If the courses were going to be open, they weren't at that time, but Adam is a notorious walker of the courses. And Johnny was just like, dude, we have to get this guy in a cart. Like there's no way I'll play with this guy. But there's no way we're gonna play and let this guy walk with us. Like well, that's, I'm, I'm, that's a that's a foul for me. Like you can't. I'm, if there's this is why I don't want to walk. Like if you're all walking, fine, right? You're playing the same pace. And sometimes if you're behind another group, like the cart is speeding you up, and then basically you just end up waiting at the tee box, shoot the shit, grab a beer, whatever. It's fine. But I'm not playing rounds where one guy's walking and three guys are in the cart. And then I just got to deal with this one guy. And then like midway through the round, he's like, oh, let me put my bag in your cart, B- buddy. <laughs> <laughs> buddy, you're, you're bagging my cart now. Now I got to drive. No, 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 no. This is it. Like it's done. I'm not, I don't do that. I, I'm playing. I'll be like, okay, you go play ahead. Play a, play a solo round. I swear when I told Johnny that, that Chernoff walk, always walks and refuses, I, it looked like he saw a ghost. He's like, dude, no, no. We're getting this guy exercise. a cart. Like, golf is not an exercise. Like you can't walking a golf course. It's there's not a workout for the day. I enjoy golf as a nice, fun thing where I could go and sit down in a cart and I like you know that's relax. personal though. It's personal preference. So so what I like about the cart is I can buy multiple beers at once. Yeah. And st- with the pull carts, you just got the one slot. You know that's I and I enjoy I enjoy a good a nice cold brew. When I'm golfing in the summer, think that I think I play better when I drink. I'm buying two new hybrids right now. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you go get fitted at least if you're gonna buy clubs, buddy. I'm too. I'm trash. I can't get fit. I'm too trash to get fitted. fitted. You have to get get fitted. fitted. It's a waste. It's a waste. My swing is not even good though. It doesn't matter. But you have a style of. I'm gonna get fitted for a swing that's not a good swing. I I understand, but are you gonna fix your swing this year? I might. You, you've just said that last year too. I might take winter lessons next winter. Okay, so maybe then you don't buy a hybrid now and you just wait. Yeah, don't don't do this. Don't what? What's wrong? Like, don't with your, just, your like, hybrids are good. Don't just impulse the Simmax. buy this. I don't have a three. I have hybrid. the Simmax. I have the Simmax. I don't have a. I'm gonna buy the Simmax one. I, yeah. I heard bad things about the Simmax two. I have the I have the Simmax one. I agree. I with got Rob fitted here. for them. Yeah. I'm gonna get the Simmax three and four hybrids. No, three, I, three I agree with Rob here. There's no problem with buying these things, but if you're going to do it, wait until you've decided you're going to work on it and then go get fitted after the fact yep. or go get fitted now. Exactly. Either way, get fitted. Get fitted regardless. Like you have a certain swing speed, you have a certain swing type, so you might attack the ball steeper or whatever. Like, you know, don't and you just play pop. enough. You play enough that it's worthwhile. All right, where, where do, do I go get Listen, fitted? get f- <laughs> You don't have to walk with, with me where again get, this year. Where do I get can, fitted? I'll anywhere. set you up. Yeah, we'll, we'll set you up. You know a guy? Yeah, I do actually. You know a guy who knows a guy? No, I know a he guy. He knows a guy directly <laughs> yeah. that doesn't know a guy. Okay. All right, Done we're going to move on here. We do have another guest this week. Uh, he is a friend of mine, although we had some interesting butting of heads year, years ago. My first One of my first experiences with this guy was I was an influencer for Odd Shark, which is an offshore affiliate. And I used to go out to an event in Vegas every single year and promote Odd Shark. 
This was years ago, probably about a decade ago. And one day we were at the Westgate in Las Vegas and the Odd Shark staff came up to me and they're like, there's some crazy guy in the, in the sports book who's just yelling at everyone who has an Odd Shark shirt on, calling them a scumbag and whatever. And I'm like, oh, Oh, maybe like, do you know who this is? They're like, oh, he's just some, some nut job. I go down to the casino. It's our guest, Jason Weingarten. You can follow him on Twitter at Spreadopedia. He is a pro sports better. He's a contributor for VSIN. And I think he does get a bad rap because he's very animated on some things. And also we're going to talk about this, but he is one of the best, if not the best Mexican baseball better of all time history in history jason welcome to circles off it's great to have you thanks for having me what's going on all right so uh obviously people have seen you on this platform before um circles off alumni from the super bowl special but uh you know we were pretty rapid fire on that edition of the episode and just going bang 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 through a bunch of different picks and no one really got to know the story behind Spreadopedia, Jason Weingarten. So for those who are seeing you for the first time or may not be familiar, just give us some of your personal background and how you got involved in the betting space. So uh, I've been betting now, it's 2020, um, doing this pretty regularly now for probably about 12 plus years, probably closer to 15. I started when I was in college. Uh, you know, wasn't wasn't a particularly good better at first. Took took several years to kind of understand what I was doing and get to a point where I could even, you know, start to make money. Um, then it took even longer to make real money, but, uh, yeah, basically got into football first, uh, spent several years doing football stuff. Um, then I ended up getting chicken pox at some point as an adult. And that got me into baseball cause I was kind of stuck at home and couldn't do anything for a month. So, uh, I learned a lot about sabermetrics and a lot of the stuff I had missed the last couple of years. This was, I want to say like 2012, 2010, somewhere around there. Um, I got, I got chicken pox. I went to a tool concert in San Diego. Um, so it was whenever, whenever they were playing in San Diego, um, back then, that's when I got chicken pox, <clears throat> but that led to, uh, uh, the whole learning baseball and I, I recovered I ended up going to Sloan that year. I think Rob, you might have been there that year. A um, whole bunch of people were there. It was like the first year all the gambling people were really at Sloan. Um, I came at the last minute. I didn't even have a ticket to Sloan. I just used my old my old badge. I figured they wouldn't they wouldn't notice. They didn't. Um, so I met a whole bunch of gambling people there. I got got my first real you know gambling opportunity out of that, and rest is basically history. That's very interesting. Um, the first thing that resonated with me is that your story is very, very similar to that of Joe Pita, um, who is, I, I, you know, I read his book, Trading Bases, and he didn't get chicken pox, but he got into a car accident and he was a Wall Street trader and he was just forced to be at home every day. And he just was watching afternoon baseball and took a liking to it and said, I'm going to figure out how to apply like a lot of the Wall Street, um, you know, modeling that I do to baseball. So um it's kind of weird sometimes how just like a random thing, like going to a tool concert and getting chicken pox sets you into this like course of 
or this path of life that you probably would never would have found had that you know situation not happened. What is that? The the butterfly effect or something? Yeah, I, I haven't seen uh, that that movie. It's before my time. But it's a good thing you didn't see it. It's not, not, not a good. I, movie. I don't know if you've seen that Jason butterfly effect, but it's yeah. I know. I know the butterfly effect. Yeah, I mean, you need to you need to indulge in some recreational drug use probably to watch that movie and enjoy it. I would say. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the I also love that you uh, use the old pass to get into Sloan. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about MIT kids is they're smart enough to put on a conference. They're not smart enough to tell the security guards to look look at the actual badges. But but <laughs> now they change the colors, right? Because they used to be the same badge every year. But I think the last three or four years, they've now changed the colors of the badges. So it'd be, it'd be much harder to, to get in. But either yeah, way. Yeah, and it's also it's way more expensive now. I mean, now it's a serious ticket. Back then, it was like two, three hundred bucks, whatever. As soon as the uh, ESPN sponsorship came into place, I think the tickets got chat. Li- like, listen, there are a lot of good guests at Sloan, but the application to sports betting is not necessarily. But there. even in general, I mean, Jason, I know you, you've been a bunch of times. Then, like, do you find it? Do you think it'd be valuable nowadays for somebody? I mean, I guess no. betting or or non. What about someone who wasn't a better, just wanted to learn about sports? the sports business industry. I think the last time I went, I saw like a bunch of high school kids and stuff. And I was like, like, what are you guys doing here? Like, what do you think you're going to add to this? Um, no offense to I was young once too. And probably not that young when I was trying to do stuff, but um, it's just gotten too big. Like when I went the first time, uh, Adam silver was still the deputy commissioner. Mm-hmm. And I was just able to like go up to him and have a conversation with him for like 10 minutes, you know, talking about Betty and then the NBA stance on Betty. And then, now you couldn't, you know, you couldn't imagine getting 10 minutes of, of a speaker's time like that to talk about anything just because there's too many people there. And that's the way these conferences go. But no, I'd say at this point, you're, you know, spending a lot of money that could easily be spent on other things or anything else, basically. I think the biggest value I find it, you know, it depends on the conference, obviously, and the price point and so on and so forth. This is a one of the most expensive ones it's more geared towards just sports analytics rather than sports betting but nowadays i think the majority of people i know just get a plane ticket don't even get a conference ticket they post up at the bar wherever the event's being held and the value you get out of the networking i find is just way more like it's just way more valuable than anything you would get from watching presentations or panels basically yeah at this point i mean you're not going to get anything new from a panel with a thousand people listening, but I totally agree with you. Going to the bar is definitely where the the connections are made. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of the kids that go there now are, um, you know, university, college level students who are just like looking for jobs and stuff in sports business. And they're like, oh, I go here, I network, I can get a job. But I don't necessarily know that that's super true. Um, I'm sure it does happen here and there with the people you would meet. But outside of that, um, yeah. I didn't have the best time. So like me personally, uh, I, I don't know how much of this you consume, Jason, but I love consuming the research papers every year. But it used to be that you would have to go to the events and there'd be people presenting them in the hallways and maybe there was a research paper presentation. Now they're just basically posted online on the Sloan Analytics Conference website for free. And I find that that's just more valuable than any. As a sports better, that's more valuable that, like takeaway than anything else I would get there. Yeah, I mean, you're going to probably get better info out of the research papers than, than the panels at these points. Um, there's still a lot of good stuff, though. I mean, there's a lot of talented people putting out you know, new stuff and analytics and every field, every sport. But, you know, betting wise, no, I wouldn't waste the money. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about betting right now. Uh, we are in the midst of baseball season. We had Adam Burke on last week who spoke highly of you. Um, is it fair to say you're primarily a baseball better at this point? I know you do a lot of stuff, but is baseball your go-to? Yeah, I would definitely say baseball is is the bigger biggest thing. Um, you know, I play other sports when other sports are in season and there's action to be had and you know, I'll still bet, like I, I always talk about how I bet recreationally on the NBA. I don't bet, you know, huge limits. I'm an awful NBA better, but I'll, I'll bet other stuff for fun. But for, you know, for profit, for for making money, it's it's mostly mostly baseball. Uh, have you always been drawn to baseball? Because when you're you're talking, you're telling us your story about growing up and originally losing. You basically said you were drawn to football at first. So what, what drew you to baseball in the first place? And like how basically how did this evolution come into fruition where you ended up being a baseball better? Yeah, I mean, so I was mostly in the football for betting to, to begin with. <clears throat> um, baseball had mostly, you know, I, I didn't get back into baseball until I was in college and I started playing fantasy baseball with a bunch of my friends um that sort of got me back into paying attention to baseball got me into scouting prospects um eventually got into baseball betting um just sort of coincidentally i guess with the chicken pox and everything but uh mostly it, it stemmed from playing competitive fantasy baseball with with my college friends is what got me into baseball or back into baseball I think we're close to the same age or at least in like a relative same area. And I think fantasy sports did that for a lot of us as well. Um, because yeah. I, I was in the same boat. Like you, I, I always loved all sports, but I would never really watch a baseball game from start to finish until I started playing fantasy. And when I first started playing fantasy on Yahoo and ESPN, you know, you'd get the alert whenever one of your players came up to bat and it was just like channel jumping. And I really got into the sport that way. Um, but it's interesting to hear that from someone else as well. I, I think fantasy sports just did so so much for all of these major sports leagues. Um, you wonder how many of them would have even survive without fantasy sports. Definitely. Yeah. It, well, we've said it before, but if you if you're watching NFL right now and you have no action on the games betting wise, and you're not in fantasy, you don't play. You know, not in a season long fantasy, you don't play DFS. Very hard to watch, and that's the, in my opinion, the best sport in the world right now, which is the NFL. So. It's funny, but it has brought like a level of the a level to the game that like now everyone's invested, and fantasy is like the cheapest way to do that. You get, like you pay put up maybe like fifty bucks for a season long league, and you get to have fun for the whole season. Yeah, um, fantasy. You know, the whole daily fantasy was really big for a while. Now I, I don't hear many people talking about it as much, but uh, I still play fantasy baseball. Even I don't play high stakes, but I still you know care about beating my friends and they they generally still beat me um but you know i i like fantasy baseball i like well, most things revolving around baseball we've uh we've actually whether you know this or not have competed in some leagues together oh uh, yeah we were in like salary cap league and stuff for a while we were yeah preston johnson another um circles off alum used to run some twitter fantasy baseball leagues uh, there was the 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 Mexican kid Stevie, who's just like obsessed with analytics and stuff like that. That was very good at those pools. But yes, we have participated in leagues together. I was just wondering if you remember that because that was many many years ago, I think. Now, oh yeah, 
that was real complicated. Those that's too too complicated. There was too me. many rules. Like I I just want a basic league where I don't have to, you know, I don't have to spend a week modeling out the entire season and these different stat projections and stuff like that. That was w- way too complex. Way too complex. I want to pick up on something that you said, and we'll get back into baseball betting. But you are a self-proclaimed terrible NBA better. I don't know if you use terrible as the adjective, but a bad NBA better. Awful. Okay, awful. I'm very interested in that because typically speaking, someone who can win at one sport, and I know for a fact you're a winning baseball better, someone who could win at one sport tends to understand all of the principles to be able to win at betting at other sports. So why, in your opinion, or why do you think you've never been able to translate the same success from baseball into basketball? I don't put much time into it. And I just kind of like, yo, I want to bet a a basketball game for action tonight. I'm going to take the Spurs or whatever. You know, like I, I don't, I don't really go too deep into it. And also I bet a lot of unders. So just when you bet unders in general, it's just like pain. So so what do you maybe betting most maybe my right problem now? is the under is not the, the basketball maybe it is so what do you what are you betting mostly right now then and i know you mentioned sports but kind of what what types of bets you know what what's the go-to here and there where do you got the edges mostly sides totals and mlb obviously still still doing the props just a function of of volume you know can't can't get crazy amounts down on first innings and hits runs errors and strikeouts and all that stuff i love I love betting them all, though. Um, then doing a lot of futures because it's just um, with the the advent of all the legal books the last couple years, there's just so many places to bet futures that didn't exist in the past. Um, and you can get, you know, huge volume down on something at 20 to one or 30 to one. And that's that's big money if, if it comes in. Now, you're California based, correct? Yeah, sorry, I'm looking over first inning. Actually, the Giants just scored. <laughs> no um, problem. Is that, is that good or bad? Oh, it's good. That's I good. had. Yes. The, I usually have the S. Yeah, there you go. So that's a good thing. So you're California based. You talk about leveraging legal books. You're in a state that isn't legal yet. So are you? I, I'm assuming you have partnerships with people in other legal states right now. Yeah, I mean, I live. I live near the airport. I could always could always get to Vegas very quick. Um, 90 minutes in and out basically from, from Burbank. Uh, so I can always get down myself if necessary, but you know, yeah, there's uh, other States, other, other people, other, you know, plenty, plenty of ways to get down. So you've personally, I guess, experienced a lot of these regulated gaming sites at this point. Yeah. I have a pretty, pretty good idea how they work, the back ends, the different companies. I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, I, I try to understand with the, the legal books, which, which operator, you know, uses what software, what the limitations are. It's a, you know, you, you know, I always say, don't, don't fear the man that knows, you know, everything about all the sports books, fear the, fear the customer that knows everything about your specific, you know, software. Like I I try to know the ins and outs of whatever books I'm using. Understood. You probably can, uh, you can probably understand what I'm getting at with the line of questioning, but like for, for you, you would say that, even though not in your state, regulated gaming has been a net positive on on your personal betting. Personally, it's been a net positive. I, I, I'm skeptical if it's been societal net positive. Um, 
but personal yes i i think you know having having all the books is has been a fantastic addition so that's where i'm sort of going with this because i followed you on twitter for a long time and you would probably admit that you're very openly critical of a lot of the regulated operators in the space right now like you said you do your due diligence on everything you try to understand what tech they're using you know what's going on with every single book but what is it primarily for you right now that is a source of frustration with the regulated operators. I think it blows my mind that basically outside of Circa, there's not a posted limit that's just visible every time you're trying to make a bet on every site. Like it, it just it's 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 almost uh, just just it's it's unbelievable to me that 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 you can you know log in and it, it won't tell you what the limit is. And I've heard people you know say, oh, I can get you know, $10,000 on a trip, triple a baseball game at, at DraftKings or whatever. And I'm, and I hear someone else say, well, I can get, you know, $14 and 12 cents. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me that you can offer different limits to different customers and that there's no regular regulated authority that says this is wrong. You know, that's, that's such a, such a, uh, imbalance towards the operator to, to be allowed to deal different limits to different customers. If, you know, a, a regulated licensed sports book should have to deal limits across the board to all customers. That's to me, it's, it's crazy that you can get licensed and not have a requirement like that, but you know, that's the state by state sort of issue. Yeah. And for anyone listening, I'll explain a little further, uh, when Jason said posted limits and Circa being the only book that has that, um, you know, what he's referring to is Circa Sports, which are currently, um, you know, live in Iowa and in Nevada, uh, as well as Colorado. So only three states right now. They um, have a posted limit sheet. And what that posted limit sheet basically says is anybody in the world can come and bet this amount. Now, it might be $500 on some things, right? It might be 100 on some things, and that's okay. Um, but the reality is they have that. So no matter what, you will be able to get that. And then obviously on certain things, it might be 50,000, you know, 5,000 or 100,000, depending on the magnitude of the event and the time of day. So when you walk into Circa Sportsbook, you know at any given time what you can bet. And you can always ask for more. Like you can, you know, refer to a trader or just go in and be like, hey, would I be able to get double the limit? Um, and they definitely might refuse you on the double limit, but at the very minimum, you know you're getting that bet size there. And the respect that that, um, entails in the industry is massive because now you can count on them as a book that is not limiting winning players. You know, they're limiting them to a certain extent by only allowing them to, to bet up to a limit sheet. However, by doing that, they're actually proving that like, you know, we'll take anyone, we'll take all customers. We're not going to kick you out. We're not going to take only a dollar from you. And as a result, they become one of the sharpest lines in the industry. So I just wanted to clarify that for anyone who might be a little bit of a newer, better, not understand um, the concept of like posted limits um, versus, you know, a DraftKings who they don't have a posted limit sheet. So some accounts that they might grade a square might be able to bet 100,000. And then maybe Jason's account, who's been beating them on props, can only bet 14. So anyways, we'll kick it back to you, Jason. I didn't want to cut off, but I think it was super important to explain that. Jason, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm curious if you think that it's fair for a sports book to offer different limits to different people. Like let's say let's say for example, all there was regulatory the regulatory body stated, okay, sports books now have to say state how much they're taking on a bet. Do you think it would be fair for them to, for example, give you a large bet in NBA because you, you notoriously lose at it, but give Johnny a, a small bet in the NBA? Like where do you draw the line in terms of what the restrictions should be? 
I think it's fine if a player wants to ask for a larger bet than the posted limit. You know, like like if the limit's ten thousand bucks and you want to bet twenty thousand bucks, you can always ask and say, "Can I get twenty on it?" And more often than not, they'll probably say yes if they're a real bookmaker. Um, but I mean, you should be willing to take a limit bet from a known sharp because that's your limit, and you use that. You know, you use that bet as information to sharpen your own number. Um, but if you want to take a larger bet, I don't have a problem with that. I don't, I don't think books should, you know, not be allowed to take a larger bet if requested, but they shouldn't be allowed to deal a lower limit to a known sharp is, you know, is, is my issue. So you're looking for equality more than anything. Basically. I mean, in a regulated license environment, it shouldn't be tilted towards the operator, you know, that, that egregiously. Yeah. What, what do you think that a book could put in place though to actually execute on this? Like they don't currently have auto limits, movers. but, but you, so, go ahead. Sorry. You just, you, if you, if you want to have, you know, a $2,000 limit, like using MLB, for example, you want to take like two dimes overnight and then go to five in the morning and then 10, you know, when lineups get posted, like, you know, don't, don't have 10, $10,000 limits overnight. If you're worried that a sharp's going to, you know, beat you 20 cents on a baseball line, take two dimes overnight and wait, you know, wait and see if someone hits it and move it. Take five in the morning, take 10 when lineups come out. You know, I'm just using two, five and 10 as, as examples, but um, that's why limits exist is so the bookmakers can kind of, you know, move their numbers and, and not get beat up too, too badly too early. Like it's just, uh, I think a lot of books, they want to skimp on, on the risk management. Yep. They want to skimp on having people, you know, available in office to approve and, you know, make, you know, uh, approve trades um, at odd hours. And you don't have that sort of, you know, you don't have people working for you and you're trusting automation to do everything. Sometimes you're going to get beat, but um, I mean, I think that's what, what limits are for is to help you sharpen your numbers before, you know, to, to, so you're not booking too early at a you know bad price to you. Yeah, I, I go back and forth on this one a lot personally because I don't think it's necessarily a fault of the the operators themselves. I think it's a fault of the regulators in this instance, right? Because you know if you're a sports book, it's only common sense. You're running a business. At the end of the day, the reality is sports books are running a business. And if they know someone's going to be able to beat them, well, why am I going to let this person beat me? I'm going to give them small limits. If I know someone's going to lose in the long run, I'm going to give them larger limits. And that's what I think any business person would do. The people who are running these companies are business people. They're responsible for getting their stock price up. They're responsible for revenue. So I completely get that. The issue I have is the regulatory bodies, most of whom are not sports bettors, know nothing about sports betting, who are allowing this to happen. Because in a sense for me, it is predatory, right? It is, oh, you know, you want to bet on you losing better square A? Want to bet on Major League Baseball? Sure, we'll take your $10,000 bet because we know you're going to lose in the long run. Like that's that's predatory behavior. And that's where I have an issue with it. But it's, you know, there is, you have to draw a line in the sand and you have to say, you know, for me, I can completely understand the sports book perspective. While I may not agree with that being the way to run a business, if you are allowed to do that, I totally see why someone would do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I totally understand the, 
the 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 position of the operator and the limiting and you know they're responsible to a board of directors and shareholders and you know share price and that all that stuff is is stuff that i never take into account or you know ever even really consider because i'm a better not you know i'm not a management but i i think you're right that it is predatory i think the the regular regulatory bodies would tell you that um the the those players are better off betting a legal book than being taken advantage of you know by a gray market bookie uh i i don't necessarily agree with that but if the if your business model is to book you know squares at at large volume and uh boot sharps you'll probably be successful but i don't think i i don't think that's the the best way to run a an operation and we've seen circa kind of buck that trend but otherwise people are content to to do it this way but is, is circa profitable like are they more pro i don't i don't i'm not privy to the numbers right but like is circa right now turning a better i guess per player value than you know DraftKings or a FanDuel? i don't know that you know one way or the other i haven't seen any numbers that would tell me that i think they're probably do- doing a smaller roi like I think it's almost certainly that there there's a smaller ROI. Of course, smaller ROI, but I'm yeah. saying just in general, total, like net well, profit, per, like gross. Uh, sorry, net gaming revenue because they don't do a lot of bonuses. So let's say NGR net gaming revenue per player that they have. Do you think it'd be higher or lower than DraftKings? I I would guess it's lower, if I had to guess. Because I think if it was higher, then you would see more people adopting that business model. Do you know what I'm getting at? I mean, this is just a complete guess for me. The, I love, listen, I I think Circa is a great sport. It's harder book. for Circa to get players. That's it's, the thing. What, what, acquisition is a problem when you're not bonusing players at the rate of other books. Even stuff like saying, you know, and this is not, I don't want anyone to take this as me trashing Circa because I have the utmost of respect for that sports book. They're a great sports book for me in general, who's looking to get down a lot of money on games. But I can see where there is a lack of mass appeal as well, right? If you don't offer as many markets, well, that's not going to, you know, cater to a recreational better. Um, I had a back and forth in my Twitter timeline between uh, Jeff Benson, who's the operations manager at at Circa, and uh, some guy named Taco T-Bone or something like that, who's just like a, a better that was supporting Barstool Sportsbook. He made some good points about like, you know, you're not offering the same amount of markets and I completely get it. So I, I think there's all sorts of different business models that can work overall. Um, but, you know, does the honest approach like Circa resonate with the average person? And I'm not sure that it does. I really appreciate what they're doing in market. But I think for a lot of people, sadly, they don't even care. It's like, well, Circa's not offering this type of prop on this game. I'm just going to go bet it elsewhere. Uh, rather than okay, this book's not going to take advantage of me. Well, no same, no same game parlays. Yeah. Uh, not the same level of offering as like, you know, you can't you can't go to Circa and bet like Bo Bichette to get three home runs today. Right. And again, those are juice to the nines at any other book, but you at least can bet that. So it is a little bit, it's different. But I, I mean, I'm a big supporter of Circa. I think it's definitely the most the fairest book by by a fair mile in the regulated space. I think legal betting has shown across these different markets that uh, most consumers aren't particularly price sensitive when it comes to like, you know, this book's dealing six and a half minus one ten, and 
Circa's dealing six, you know, minus 105, people are still going to bet the six and a half, 15, because it's more convenient. It's, you know, th- there's there's not as many price shoppers and sharps as we think there are. Um, there's a lot of people who just want to get some action down. Yeah. And then they'll go drive 10 miles extra to save 15 cents on gas after the fact. Yep. I mean, it's it's a weird. I don't know why this this concept of price price sensitivity has never made its way into into sports betting. Maybe it's just the inconvenience factor. But um, what really gets me, and I think this is something that really bothers you. I comp- I, I I understand the sportsbook side of things. I really do. It's not the way I would run a sportsbook necessarily. But when you are accountable to shareholders and you have to make revenue, you're going to do what you can. What I cannot stand is when you get the CEO of the sportsbook publicly speaking about how we do not want to accept winning players like you're basically coming out to the forefront and saying if you are a loser you can bet here and I'm paraphrasing but that's exactly what the message is and I don't understand how anyone could come out and publicly say that it is just like a complete slap in the face to pretty much the entire user base and that's what really drives me crazy Jason yeah you know i mean it's it's not surprising when you hear stuff like that and you know we've heard it from more than one ceo this past year it's kind of saying the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud sort of deal um you know it's like you hear stuff like that or another one i I hear frequently is that um the the sports book is just a way to sign people up to funnel them into the iGaming casino Mm -hmm. and i'm like you're not supposed to say that like i know it's true but you're not supposed to give away the end game like that. Um, and then you, if you look at the numbers, you know, the, the online casino revenue, just it, it, the, the sports betting revenue dwarfs what, what is lost by people on online casino stuff. Uh, it's some, some CEOs understand that they're playing a long game here and some just are kind of clueless in what it takes to run a profitable uh, casino business or sports betting business. It is a hard and challenging market. I mean, it's not, it's not just printing money, but, um, I think, I think a lot of people don't understand that sports betting is a incredibly low margin business and there's not very many ways to increase that margin and and keep your customers, you know, happy. Got to Got to maintain customers. Can't just blow them out all the time. Yeah, which is why I think some of the business models out there, which are like, you know, completely advocating for parlays all the time. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you're going to win more in the long run, but, you know, it's not a great experience for someone to lose all their money betting parlays in a short amount of time uh, because they're not hitting at a win rate. So I think that there's a happy balance there. It's it's obviously a very it's obviously very challenging. Like I I did bet the process with Rufus and Jeff a couple weeks ago. We had a similar conversation, but on a sports book side of things, you know, your goal is to make money, but you're only ever going to make money at the expense of the player. Like there's no other way for you to do it. So how do you maintain that happy balance? Um, and that's like a very difficult question to answer because it, there really is not a way of doing so. At the end of the day, if someone's coming in and, and depositing into your sports book and then donking off a bunch of money in the casino, what do you do as someone who's running a business? Do you just say, no, we're not going to let you bet anymore because you're losing too much money when you are accountable for revenue? It's it's really a, a very tricky landscape to navigate overall. Yeah, I mean, that just it comes down to sort of your opinion on the morality of gambling and 
being involved in the gambling business, <clears throat> you know, you're definitely in a sense preying on, you know, people who are losing, but that's just, you know, you have to either be okay with that or not. If you're not, then you're in the wrong business. Even from a better side, we're not really contributing a whole lot to society either. If we're being honest with ourselves. No, not, not, not really. I mean, we're, we're just providing liquidity to a market. Yeah. It's not, uh, not, not really society, society beneficial now. I personally, I, I don't know if Johnny, you've ever had that, like, if you've ever thought about the morality of being a better, it's crossed my mind before as well, though. Like, you know, you have people out there who are making good incomes, being doctors and whatever. And it's like, I'm sitting at my computer on my mobile phone, placing bets. Like, what am I contributing to the overall economy? It's, I guess I do spend that money in the economy. If we, you know, I support the travel industry. Did you donate two bucks to Ukraine? I, I donate bo- do- money to diabetes research. That's like my way of giving giving back. But o- overall, relative to someone else in the space, I didn't donate money to the Ukraine. Now I will. I will donate money now that you've put me on the spot. I almost have to now, but not that. Not that I don't think it's a good cause. But, but yeah. <laughs> what, what, I gotta put this guy on the spot here. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I don't. I haven't. I. I'm, I guess I, I'm not at. Uh, a stage yet. I mean, hopefully I will, I will care about, uh, you know, like changing the world and stuff. It's like, it's a big task, you know, like you got to really, you got to get yourself, you got to get your footing first before you can start talking about like all that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what am I going to do right now? It's just a larger conversation for me of, you know, I'm very critical of sports books at times as well, or how other people run their businesses that are maybe competitors to bet stamp, for example. But from a personal level, I do have to take a step back every now and then and say like, you know, I, I do what I can. I try to raise money for charity. I do cameos where I donate to charity. Please request me on cameo. That would be appreciated as well. If you want me to say a happy birthday or something like that. But from a, a being a pure better. Wait, how many cameos have you gotten? Uh, I don't know, like a dozen. You got 12 guys paid for your cameo? I had one guy this week who requested me to tell to give him tips, give his buddy tip. His buddy's getting married. Give him tips on how he can place bets and not ruin his marriage. I'm not even joking. <laughs> In which case I said, you're, I believe you're married too, Jason, or you have a, a serious girlfriend. Yeah, and I'm married. Yeah. I was basically like, you got to like a lot of bathroom breaks, you know, you're, you're, you might have ate, <laughs> yeah. your stomach's not, oh, you know, whatever we ate, it's, it's not, it's not going so good. I'm just in the washroom, just like firing off bets for 10 minutes, you know, then you can make another, if, if you, if you execute that properly, you can, you can kind of get that going over the course of the entire night, you know, half hour later, you're yeah, still not feeling well. Meds didn't kick in. Obviously you haven't taken any meds. Obviously you're feeling fine, but you can, you know, get to the washroom yeah, again. So you're saying the first break should should be a setup for at least four or five future breaks as opposed to just having to make a new excuse every time. Of course. Now, my wife has probably noticed that since we got married, I've had a lot more stomach issues than pre-marriage when we weren't <laughs> living together. But it, it is the pro move. Like, what else do you do to get away when you need to place bets? That's, that's the go-to, right? I just whip out my phone and start doing it. Like, I was at the <laughs> farmer's market on Sunday morning. I was like, got to make some baseball bats real quick. I'll catch up to you in a minute. You know, if you go to the bathroom, the problem with the the bathroom strategy is everyone starts suspecting you're a cocaine addict if you make too many trips to the bathroom. 
Well, he's using the regular strategy. That must be true love. You can just pull pull up the pull up the phone and place bets. No issues. Yeah, I mean, you you get you got to desensitize them to it. You know, after a while, they get used to it. See, that's that's I think the smarter move. You can't you can't I can't go back in time. But when I was you know my my wife now was my girlfriend when I was younger, and she knew me at the beginning as a degenerate gambler. So over time, you know, I was trying to like not be on my phone all the time, watching games on my phone, placing like my buddies are at weddings watching the games because they got so much money on it and they're sweating and they won't get up and go dance and stuff like that. I had to, to prove that I was over that, even though I'm not like, but I'm not, I'm obviously not losing at this point, which is the difference, but I'm not over the desire to bet, um, especially like live every now and then, but that's been my trick. I think it's a very easy one and people should use it. You just, you know, you plant the seed early on in the night. Mm, not feeling, not feeling so well. Stomach's <laughs> been bothering me a little bit. Don't know what I ate. My wife, well, we ate the exact same thing. I'm feeling fine. I'm like, well, you know, I, I had some, you know, I made it eight, might've ate something else. Oh, I put, I put the hot sauce on it and you didn't. That must be what's causing it. Sneak I'll away. tell you how big of a scumbag I am. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's Good my job. That's okay, my Jason, we want to talk about futures betting. Notoriously, I've talked on this podcast about how I don't uh, typically bet futures because I don't really want to tie up the credit. I know what you do and what I've seen you post about is, you know, actually betting in person over the counter, which I do actually agree with. I will preface. So if you just have, let's say, some cash, you walk to uh, into Vegas. Um, let's say you walk into Circa over the counter, put five grand down cash and then walk out with five grand worth of tickets. I do think that is a, a, a fine approach, but I wanted to get your thoughts on like, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the legal outs now being able to get down a lot of the futures. Where does this come in? How are you like finding these edges? How much you, like wh- what are you getting down? What's the whole process there for futures if you don't mind sharing? So the the first thing with the getting down with the credit, I mean, that's just a function of your relationship with the outs that you're betting at. Um, you know, for example, I have one out that I could just bet whatever I want on futures, not not whatever I want, you know, limit wise, but if I bet 5,000 bucks on futures, I'm just going to ask the guy for 5,000 more credit and he's going to give it to me. You know, like the credit is, you know, basically unlimited credit at 0%. So it's really about the terms of the credit you're using to bet and the, you know, the risk of, of a default if you win too much money. Cause you know, you can always just win 50,000 bucks and the guy is not going to pay you and say, you know, fuck off or, you know, I, I'm, you know, you're, you're booted, whatever. Um, that that's rarely ever happened to me with the places that I bet futures. Um, uh, but I also try to limit like it. A you know, PPH shop, I think then it's not the wisest move for people right now. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're, if you're not, on, you don't have a good relationship with PPH you're using, you don't really know the guy, you haven't really met him very often. And, you know, then yeah, you're definitely <clears throat> risky and not getting paid. And, um then the legal books obviously post posting up is you know a little bit more of a challenge for people because not everybody can just post up you know 500 bucks here 500 bucks here 1000 bucks here 5000 bucks here it adds up quickly even even if you're betting you know and I've I've talked about this before during NFL season if if you bet NFL futures every week of the football season it's 17 weeks now you know 200 bucks a week you're you're into the futures for, you know, over 3000 bucks, 3,400 bucks, whatever. 
Um, even more than that, if every hundred dollars is, you know, exponentially another thousand, seventeen hundred bucks, whatever. Um, not a lot of people have access to the capital needed to necessarily attack the futures market, which is a limitation, especially if, you know, now we're, we're getting into the point where there's, you know, 20 different legal sports books or whatever. Um, and you can, you can get a lot down. So, um, you do definitely run into the capital limitation on the, the post up side, but, uh, you know, if you can overcome that and there are plenty of ways to overcome, uh, limited capital, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you could just find books, you know, for example, I think, I think the, the Westgate Superbook does a pretty good job keeping their futures, uh, updated quickly, you know, not necessarily instantly, but on a day-to-day basis, they, they'll update their numbers and you'll see a guy who's five to one for Cy Young and still 20 to one at other books. And it's, it's not necessarily rocket science at that point to, to know, you know, potentially I should bet some more on this guy, but um, basically I, I, I make most of my positions in the preseason. Like I, I have, I have the guys I want to bet. I find, find the numbers I want. Um, <clears throat> once the season starts, you'll, you'll see the market start to drift. Like, Vlad Guerrero Jr., for example, is currently 20 to 1 for MVP. So, you know, you'll see odds, odds on players drift, drift up and down. Um, I'll occasionally bet more in season on a guy who's performing really well, like Mookie Betts, for example. He was like 20 to 1, 25 to 1 for MVP. And like CJ Crone was 16 to 1. And I was just looking at the numbers. I was like, there's no way bets should be below cj crown as i think at the superbook as well um but it's not sometimes it's not rocket science sometimes it's just kind of looking at the statistics and seeing that somebody is undervalued to to how they're playing and then sometimes it's just scouting ahead of time like rookie of the year stuff just scouting I'm curious about like the the breakdown in terms because you obviously mentioned price shopping, which me and Johnny are huge advocates of, where you just see off market prices bet them type of thing. Um, but it also sounds like, especially with the preseason, you go into the season knowing that there are certain guys that you might want to just you know you think are undervalued across the entire market and not just at one specific book, for example. So what's the breakdown of that? Like how much of your actual futures betting is just purely I'm going to pick off these bad prices versus how much is I'm going to take a stance on this player. Well, the, I'd say the first, the, it starts with the taking stances on players. Cause okay. I'll always like, I'll look at a market like Justin Verlander, for example, like he's a guy I, I took stand off. He's going to beat me. He's going to beat me. And right now it looks like he's pitching pretty well. Um, but you can't bet every single guy, you know, like, like it's same thing with golf. Like you can, if you bet five golfers, you know, the sixth one's going to win. If you bet six golfers, the seventh one's going to win. Like you just, you can't bet every guy you want to bet every week. Um, so I, I do take a stand against guys, you know, Garrett Cole beat one of them this year, Shane Bieber, another one, like there's just certain guys and like, if they're going to beat me, they're going to beat me. Um, but I try to, keep a fairly limited basket you know you don't want to go too deep and have you know 500 bucks on 10 different guys as opposed to having you know a thousand bucks on three guys or whatever um but i try to focus my money on on the right guys um and obviously the odds are important but uh 
it also depends. Sometimes the field, like for the AL AL MVP, there's Otani, there's Trout, there's Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez. After that, like you can make cases for like Byron Buxton or whoever else, but the market's already telling you there's there's really top three or four guys, and the award is limited to them. So sometimes the market kind of solves itself earlier than other times, and you can uh, you can kind of pick off the uh, you know you, you kind of know what the, the the contenders are, and there's market like the. Uh, the NL rookie of the year this year where Saya Suzuki shot out to an odds on favorite after like the first week. And he's done absolutely nothing since then. So there's 10, 12 different guys in the national league that could potentially make a big run. And in that case, like you can't bet all 10 or 12, you, you know, you narrow it down to the guys, a couple guys you want at the big numbers. And then you, you're content if the other guys beat you. Um, but the markets tend to, kind of paint the picture for you of of whether or not it's a top heavy market or if there's value further down interesting you mentioned a lot of stuff about uh baseball this season and how the markets have shifted I've, i'm curious to as to what your biggest takeaways are so far from this season in particular uh, obviously the the talk around the baseball i know players have been way more outspoken about this being a, a joke i think that was actually a quote from someone that i i saw recently uh, but I mean, has the new ball for one affected your enjoyment of the game? And number two, like how has it affected your, your betting of the game? It hasn't really affected me that much. Um, it was more annoying in the past when we had the, the over balls, mm-hmm. you know, the every hits a home run sort of thing. And I personally prefer a dejuice ball because I don't like it when, you know, half the league has has second baseman hitting 30 home runs. And, you know, you just like like I, I appreciate actual power hitters versus everybody having cheap power. Um, so really, it really hasn't affected me, me that much. Um, it's not like I, I blanket bet unders or I blanket bet overs. Um, I did notice like just just prop derivatives like first innings. The, the lower the totals being lower overall leads to better prices, you know, on the S scores. But no, I, I mean, I, I think the most annoying thing is like a day like yesterday that had, you know, higher than average scoring. It just plants sort of the seed in your mind that the balls changed, that they're using a different batch. And I don't like, like, I, I just try to stay consistent. Like, no, it's not what happened. You know, like just it's variance. High scores happen, but then you see a Sunday night game like the the Cardinals Giants game a couple weeks ago where Carlos Rodon got shelled. Like, there's no way you could tell me that that wasn't a different ball. Like that guy was pitching lights out all season. All of a sudden, he's just getting just smashed on national TV. Like that's a different ball. I would consistency. I, I don't bet baseball anymore, at least not at a serious level. That would drive me insane. It all, it did drive me insane in the juiced ball era. It's actually part of the reasons I stopped betting baseball overall. It just became the volatility was crazy at that time. But yeah, I can totally see myself seeing like two or three days of higher scoring and wondering if there's been like a change in dynamic across the league and literally pulling my hair out and questioning every single move that I'm making. Whereas like this doesn't really happen in other sports. I mean, it we had deflate gate with the NFL, but you don't get different pucks in hockey. You don't get, you know, different basketball or anything. And it always seems to be a topic of conversation with baseball betting. So I don't 
I mean, I don't know how you do it, Jason. I really don't. Um, I struggle with that for years, but I guess you're just taking a lot of personal enjoyment out of trying to solve these problems. The nice thing, you know, with, with the baseball, or at least with the juice ball was that all you had to do was bet all the overs, you know, in this case, it's a little, it's a little more annoying, but, uh, I think the futures you're talking about futures. I I think having a, a big futures portfolio, is kind of good to balance out the the day to day variance because like yesterday I didn't have I didn't have the best day yesterday I had a lot of a lot of unfortunate toss up losses like the the Mets I guess I don't know if that wasn't technically fortunate I was even lucky to be in that game um, but like I had the Mets yesterday I had Baltimore yesterday I had a bunch of unfortunate losses pile up but I also you know like Julio Rodriguez hit another home run and that gets me excited about my you know my rookie of the year future that. I see it go lower. Like I see the market go lower and I kind of describe it. Like it's the joke about your, your Ferrari going over the cliff with your mother-in-law in in it. Like (laughs) that's what it's like to have a lot of futures and have a losing day, you know, like, so I lost today, but I lost yesterday, but my, my futures equity is, is up. Um, so you're always just, are you tracking that on like on a, I guess, weekly basis? Like, are you tracking like the updated numbers of like, Hey, I had this guy like a hundred to one and he's now, Oh yeah. I'm running, I'm running circles around some of these books. So I'm doing it on a daily basis. Like I know that they know that I'm running circles around them too. Like, like, so I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's fun for me. Like, like the winning's fun. The, the, just knowing that they're adjusting to, to stuff I'm saying on my podcast or I'm tweeting, like, you know, they're clearly adjusted. There's somebody listening at, at some of these books or either, they're, you know, they're following my tweets. It's it's very funny to me. I just want to say I hold no ill will towards my mother-in-law personally. She's a very nice <laughs> lady. And I think she's listened to a couple of these episodes. Hopefully this His father-in-law, he's very cheap. Though, he's very okay. cheap, my father-in-law. <laughs> he, is, he, he has a good heart, but he is very cheap for sure. He So... We're, I'm sidetracking here. The power's been out, and we got it. Southern Ontario got hit with a massive storm, thunderstorm this week. I got like a thunderstorm warning on my phone. I, I was laughing. I'm like, haha, this is what my tax money is going towards. Thunderstorm warning. A minute later, my entire house was shaking. Trees are down, everything like that. But my father in law refused to go out for food. Like he had no power in his house, was just making peanut butter sandwiches the entire <laughs> week refute i'm like carlo it's you can you can go out like the restaurants are open now he's like no no i'll I'll be fine this guy's just eating peanut butter sandwiches for the entire week it's not because he enjoys the peanut butter sandwiches let me just put it that way it is a monetary thing but um surviving off the land he's he is surviving off the land um i do want to ask you because this is something that i know you're very passionate about and you mentioned it already in terms of, uh, I'll call it the nerfy wars this year, uh, the no runs first inning. There's a lot of people in the space that are now popping up out of nowhere, advocating for no run first inning bets and advocating for them as good bets. I'm interested in your commentary on that. Yeah, I think I, like I've talked a bunch about how that's a sign that whoever is doing the content probably has no clue what they're doing and has, you know, no interest in actually helping you become a better, better or win money. Um, they're trying to just create content and they like, like I, I see a lot of it and most of it's very bad, which isn't to say that there's never a situation where you should bet a no score or that 
you can't, you know, compute the price of the fair value of a no score because you can. It's just that these people aren't doing it. They're literally, you know, throwing darts at something. And usually they're throwing a dart at something that's weighted minus 135 or 150 or even worse. And it's like, I, I don't even know because I try not to say things too mean about it, but but like it just shows such a failure in the creation of content in, at every level from from the people doing it to the editors and the people allowing it and their reasons for doing it. I, again, I totally understand that, you, you know, the business is driven by clicks and, <clears throat> you know, this is how you get eyeballs on stuff. But long term, you are you know not doing anything beneficial to your customer. And in fact, you're teaching them bad habits. And some people will say, well, the book, you know, that actively says we want bad betters would, you know, benefit from teaching them bad habits. And you're like kind of right. But I think, um, you know, when we talk about sports betting being a low margin business, you're better off, you know, getting reoccurring revenue from a, a customer long term than busting them out for a $500 deposit once. You know, the goal is to get them to lose multiple $500 deposits over time, not not a single one. And I, I think these these people, you know, they're going to eventually sour on betting because they're losing so often. And especially when you're laying 135 or minus 150, you know, like there's this guy who has a column for the Action Network. It comes out every day and it's a no score and it loses on Monday, loses on Tuesday. You know, you're laying minus 150 on each one of these. You're down three units now on Wednesday or whatever. You're gonna go five and zero the rest of the week and make it back. You know what do you? What do you? How many of these do you have to lose in a row before you realize you're not gonna make any money doing this? Um, this kind of thing. I just I see these people, you know, clearly just just heart, you know, trying to harvest users and using this as as content. I know it's just it's wrong. Like it's just it's bad info. It's it's bad advice. It's bad content and Sometimes, I mean, personally, my favorite thing to do is bet against it because, you know, they usually lose and I can get a good number on the other side. But um, I try not to spend too much time paying attention to it because it puts me on like a rage tilt. And then I like I like it. it, I don't want it to affect my actual betting. I want to focus on, you know, winning and not shitty content right well you are right because like winning at betting is fun losing at betting is not fun so when people say like oh, i just bet for fun you see you're still betting to win and like it's i do hate when people say like oh i just bet for fun so i like i'm not trying to really learn i just bet for fun it's like what was where's the fun where's like it's like exactly what you're saying where's the fun in tailing some guy losing three in a row you don't have fun watching that bet i know for a fact especially if it's a no run first and he's at that's over in a in a in a gif right like no one goes to the blackjack table with a grand plays two hands 500 bucks each loses them both and says oh that was a ton of fun i had a ton doesn't, of fun doesn't i happen. lost my double down i had a ton of yeah, fun yeah. in doing so nobody yeah. goes places one bet doubles down on that first bet for 500 and then 500 again loses a grand walks out of the casino is like oh that was a ton of fun it's never happened so i agree with jason it's like the goal for a sports book, by the way, is if you can, and I, I will say this transparently and openly for, for myself as well, is like, bet, like I want people to who are going to bet to probably lose more money in the long run or, you know, stay alive longer. However, I want them to, that to sustain an amount of fun that far exceeds the amount that they paid in money, if that makes sense. Yep. For example, you know, I might say, okay, 
I have a, I have a hundred bucks a year to spend on betting or to lose on betting, let's say. But if I can now have fun every football Sunday and all it costed me was a hundred dollars, that's an absolute home run because I might win 150 this year and the next year I might lose 250. And sure, yeah, net, I lost, uh, you know, a hundred bucks or maybe I lost, maybe I lose 200 over two years or something like that. But it's up here, down here, up here, down here, constantly having fun every single Sunday. My entertainment value is through the roof. Like it, it's a home run deal. Like, you know how much it costs? Like look, inflation. You're, ma you're maximizing yeah. the length of your bankroll and you're accruing entertainment value in the process rather than just, you know, blowing your load in the first couple weeks or so. And you know how much a golf membership is now, nowadays? Yeah, I, I unfortunately know. With, with inflation? And I'm older than you, so yeah. But but seriously though, like the amount of, co the cost of like entertainment right now is super high and like actually betting smart with a low synthetic hold is the cheapest form of entertainment you can get, especially when you're, when you're still able to uh, achieve that level of like sweat factor from betting like 50 cents on a game. Which is the best. I wish I could go back there. I think, unfortunately, the the Pat McAfee deal with FanDuel. Pat McAfee, I think it was towards the end of last year, signed a four-year, $120 million deal with FanDuel. So $30 million annually. Has affected a lot of the content in the space in that you now see content creators chasing that sort of deal with sports books. I'm, I'm just calling you out the way that I see it. I could be completely wrong about it, but I I see tons of people who are trying to just build brands um, that are catered towards getting people betting. That's the sad reality of things. I could never do that myself in the sense I, like, I could never knowingly lead a sheep to the slaughter. But I think Jason, unfortunately... I, for me, that was, maybe I'm wrong, but the turning point in that now you just see this stuff and people posting this stuff and what it's sadly created for guys like us um, is that we're like in the minority, right? Sometimes I'll call this stuff out and I just get swarmed by like 30 people who are at the defense of the content. Oh, they're posting it for free. Oh, you know, they're doing, they're putting a lot of work into it. And it's like, okay, it's worthless. Like I can do work for free too. I can try to fix someone's car for free. If it doesn't drive, then like, what good is it? And unfortunately we see more and more of it nowadays. Well, this actually, yeah, it's a, it's a losing battle. Well, you're on VEASAN, Jason. So I wanted to actually, let's bridge this right real quick. Tell everyone what kind of content you provide on VEASAN and how it might be a little different than this stuff. Well, so I'm a guest on Gil's show most frequently, usually twice a week during the baseball season. I do spots with some of the other hosts on occasion. Um, but what I like about VEASAN is they essentially give me, you know, pretty, pretty wide uh, freedom to talk about whatever I want sports wise, whether it's baseball or, you know, senior tour golf, whatever I'm betting on, I can kind of talk about. Um, I do talk a lot about futures because I think a lot of the time, like I'll give you an example. I was on this morning Gil asked me one of you know some of the baseball games I bet today, and I said I bet Baltimore. I bet Baltimore last night at like plus one ninety four. It's plus one forty eight this morning. <laughs> that number is just just way gone. You know, it's not the same bet. It's not even. It's not like we're talking. I bet something at one ninety. It's plus one eighty five. It's I bet something at one ninety and it's plus one forty eight. It's it's way off. And I said it's like I bet Baltimore last night, but it, you can't bet it now. It's it's moved too far out of out of playable range you're not getting any value there so i talk about futures a lot on air 
because um, similar to what you were saying about the, the getting the value out of your bankroll for recreational betters with uh, with future more widely available, especially the people listening to, to visa and most likely going to be in a, a legal betting state, you know, they can go and match the number at one of the 20 different books that's available wherever they are. Um, and I usually give out, you know, what books the, the, the numbers are available at or the most, the closest numbers. Um, and that way, like they can get down on the bet, it, you know, that there, there's enough, you know, you, it's not necessarily going to move after one person hits it, especially if a lot of people are betting small amounts of money on it. But um, that way you could share stuff with people that they can actually, you know, use and get, get value out of. Cause telling, telling somebody to bet Baltimore 40 cents later, 50 cents later, like it doesn't do them any good. Like there's, I can't help somebody, you know, giving out baseball lines necessarily at, at eight in the morning when I bet them 12 hours ago. Uh, futures, it's, it's a much more, you know, it's much easier to, to, to explain to people why I like something and that they could bet it before it moves. Yeah. I never actually really factored that in. That's very, uh, if you're giving out a pick and you're giving out a futures bet, it's something that is probably going to be available. Cause like, you know, you have to be betting. You can't be giving out a future for like NBA championship right now, mid game tonight, Celtics versus heat. Like that's not going to be available, but let's say you give it out this morning. That's probably not going to move up till game time. So people can actually widely get that. I, I actually respect that. That's very, uh, very smart, but, a different opinion. But also like the, the enjoyment factor too, right? Like you've now prolonged your, your bet where you can get multiple. And it's a bigger payout if you win tip, typically. Like, like I, I have bet, for example, home run leaders in MLB before. Every time your guy hits a dong, you're ecstatic. Like I follow that baseball home runs account. On Twitter, set notifications. My guy hits a home run. I'm phys- like, you prolong your enjoyment. I, I like. There's pros and cons to everything, but yeah, I. But what happens if your things out? Like, he, your guy could be done. Undone for the season. Weeks. No, he could be done two weeks in. Yeah, oh for the season. Oblique strain. Oh God, six to eight weeks. Um, yeah, I guess there's. I'm looking at. Nah, nah. Anyways, though, the future is giving out a future is actually a very uh, interesting concept. I think if I were to give out ever like picks and stuff like that, just in a general capacity regularly. It would have to be futures because you could actually get down on those as as Jason's mentioning. Agreed. Um, you said you you mentioned that one of the nice things about Vsin is that you get to talk about whatever you bet on. And for me, we had we had met years ago. I, I me and Jason had met in Vegas with with Preston at the Palace Station Oyster Bar, which always has like a one hour wait no matter what time of day you go. But I would highly recommend regardless. But I, we have had a conversation. That was the extent of um, our relationship for a long time. And then I started to know you as the um, in the underground betting circles as the Mexican baseball guy or the Japanese baseball guy. And I'm curious, though, obviously KBO, Japanese, uh, KBO, Korean, but got a lot of attention during um, COVID because it was still going on. There was a time where a lot of people were being able to bet it. Um, are you still betting those leagues? I know you mentioned AAA baseball earlier. I'm very interested about that as well. But do you look at the smaller baseball leagues? Or are you still able to get down on those? I never did Korean before the um, the before COVID or during COVID. It was never never my thing in in Korea or Japan. 
mostly just because on the west coast the the time difference between here and the far east like it just doesn't ever match up with the hours i want to be paying attention to baseball um so i I, i've never been able to 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 you know get into korea or japan long term and if there were futures markets or prop like you know like mvp or home run leader i'd probably pay attention more but there aren't so i don't um the mexican baseball stuff was was very lucrative for a while that's uh, dried dried up for the most part i mean you can still make some money betting it like if you really if you had enough accounts and just wanted to spend all day paying attention to mexican baseball you probably still make some money it's not really my thing anymore uh triple a i still follow i i was definitely more into it before covid covid kind of screwed it up because we lost a whole year and they came back and now they play these like six game series which go on for a week and it's i i prefer a, a you know the the previous travel schedule i, I don't like it when you're playing the same team for right. six days ten days in a row um but the way i look at mexican baseball triple a baseball winter league baseball i used to do dominican winter league and <clears throat> mexican winter league i've i've done nicaragua um venezuela the series Cree Bay. I've even done some Cuban baseball. I don't know how these lines originate, but like I did love betting Cuban baseball because like the the team Fidel Fidel Castro's team, Grandma, like they're in the championship and and they were like even money down two runs. And it's just like who's gonna win? The the team <laughs> that's you know favored by the Cuban government or these other guys? Like well, I'm just gonna end up I'm just gonna keep live betting these guys. Obviously they came back and won like as it always was gonna. It's like happen, when but. it's like when Putin played like the KHL All Star game or something like that. It's like yeah, and like, he scored it, like eight goals or something ridiculous, right? There was a game I don't remember exactly what it was in the World Cup, but like it was a Russian game where like Putin was in the stands. I was like, "There's no way Russia will lose this game." Like I don't know anything about anything. I don't know who they're playing. I know Russia is going to win this game. Like they will not lose with Vladimir Putin sitting there watching the game. Like it's just sometimes in foreign countries you have to think like that when you're when you're betting especially when it comes to like championships and stuff that's but, funny about that Cuban um, baseball man. throw, throw out your models and you just got to go with what is the the common sense approach the oligarch the oligarch model <laughs> um i had that for for uefa europa league for a while but so the thing with the the foreign baseball and the winter leagues and stuff the way i describe <clears throat> betting on it and why i don't do it anymore and why i used to do it is it's the same reason that players play winter league baseball or triple a baseball or Mexican baseball is because you need the money, you need the experience, or you're working on something new in the off season that you want to try out, you know, before spring training. So at this point, I don't necessarily need the money. I I'm also not particularly interested in it anymore. Um, I'm not working on anything new. And I don't need the reps. So nowadays I would much rather focus on major league baseball and have my, you know, November, December, January, February to do whatever I want, as opposed to following what's going on in the Dominican Republic and what's, you know, what's going on in Mexico. And, you know, it's lucrative if you're working your way up, but at a certain point it's, there's other things to focus on. How, How much ball are you actually watching? Like MLB? very little you would probably be shocked if i told you like 
honestly, I don't even know the last game I watched. I typically watch Shohei Otani's pitching starts. Um, I'm blacked out. Dodger games are blacked out in LA, and I can get around it. Like it's it's pretty easy. You can get a VPN and stream them or whatever. <clears throat> but I just like they're they're blacked out. Like they don't, don't want me to the, watch. You don't it. have the Fine. regular cable. I don't. I don't want to watch Dodgers either. Like I'm not a Dodger fan, so. You know, do you have no, regular cable though? No, uh, do I have regular cable? I have, uh, I have a, a Roku with all the. I have logins. We don't want to get this guy in trouble no, so with his like, local law enforcement or anything like that. We can add, <laughs> okay, okay, cut, we'll cut the streaming up. questions. You're you know, like Rob. Like, you're like Rob. No, I assume he pays for MLB.tv. The uh, of course uh, the official MLB app. No, I'm sure he actually does. Then because the I Dodgers use I use Joey Black. Isaac's brother's MLB login. <laughs> I've been using it for like three years. So, they thanks, still Joey. haven't cut down on the multiple accounts yet. I mean, we used to do that back in the day. There was like ten of us on the same account at one time. For so, MLB, I'm sure. I'm, I can't believe they haven't cut down on that yet. There must be like a maximum amount of logins. I used to actually have do that as well and share it with a buddy. Of course, for why MLB wouldn't you? TV. But but the Jays games are blacked out. Yeah, same same deal. Yeah, yeah. It was annoying. You can only get like so, like the, the one thing you want to watch, you can't watch, right? Yeah, like, and then you have to get the regular cable for those, and then I, they got me. I just get the regular cable now. Yeah. So I, I listen. I want the fact. I'm betting on sports. I also like watching sports. I'll pay whatever it is for cable per month so that I can actually just watch all of the sports in on my TV with no leg. And that's it. It is what it is. I know other people disagree with that, but I don't even want to be forget about legal, illegal, whatever. I don't even want to be sifting through streams and doing all that just to have. Like I don't even want to deal with that. But I sometimes can't. for for like certain foreign events, like. Even even though I could afford to just get cable or whatever, like it's fun to to find like a stream, you know, for for some like third division soccer or whatever foreign thing I'm betting on, and you know, seeing all the crazy people in the chats and like so, sometimes you just you just want to you know Fair get enough. back to your roots and I, I think and I was, do it the old way. Yeah, I think earlier this year um, or last year, sorry, I was streaming college football. And it was like a really small market school that I had a bet on that I wanted to sweat out. Um, like I needed a backdoor cover. So I turned, I found the stream for it and I swear they were playing in literally a, basically a stadium that was like equivalent to like our high school. Like a very, like it was like outdoor stadium with like those fold up bleachers they're playing in. I don't even know what division this was, but I w ended up watching the last drive and the, the TV quality was so bad. I'm like, okay, these are ones you just got to You just got to bite the bullet and stream them. And that's it. You know, ads uh, axed out 17 ads in a row, volume up the chats all there. Ru I hate ruining the, the ruining the game I for you. Hate touchdown, it. touchdown. There, there you got the trolls <laughs> in the chat who are always just there to, Oh, it's, it's brutal. I hate the chats on the streaming sites. The like, game over. Game over, touchdown. I'm at the guy. That's, I'm at the game. I'm at the game. It's done. Whatever. Like, there's. Oh man, I can't. I can't deal with that. But yeah, I mean, that's. Um, sometimes you just want to watch something, man. That's how I stream all those like um, celebrity boxing events and stuff. I'm not paying for the pay per view for Triller pay per view. Yeah. Okay, that that one fine. Stream that. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. All right, Jason. Uh, you've been generous with your time. We'll end it here. We'll ask you the one question we ask to all of our guests at the end of their interviews. If you could go back in time, uh, let's say five years, and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give to your old self? Five years, so we're talking like 2017. Sure, we can. We, I mean, we can give or take. But if you were talking to a previous version of yourself, one piece of of life advice that 
your old self would he's be trying to calculate the, the Bitcoin price. That's what He's like, yeah, when, no, when in 2017? Yeah. He's don't like, when in 2017? Don't buy a pizza. Don't buy a pizza with Bitcoin. I would just say, don't sell the Bitcoin. You know, there was, you were talking about minor league baseball. Like, I, I don't even want to, you wouldn't believe it. Like, I'm sure you would because we all have crazy stories. But like the, the amount of money I was getting paid in Bitcoin for minor league baseball at one point, like would easily make me a millionaire right now. <clears throat> and I sold it for relatively not millions of dollars. Um, I mean, I still have like, you know, like those books behind me and stupid shit I bought with it. But, you know, I certainly don't have millions of dollars that, definitely a more responsible person would um you know have but i don't know i wouldn't i don't think i would necessarily you can read those books and make a million from those books i i wouldn't tell my five five year ago self to do much differently because i still more or less have gotten to the places i wanted to go and do the things i want to do so <clears throat> not much different i i necessarily would have would have changed maybe a couple presidential election bets <laughs> Um, you know, I haven't, haven't won every future I've made, uh, had some misfires here and there, but you know, overall I wouldn't, wouldn't say anything different five years ago. doesn't seem that long ago, 10 years ago, I probably would have had more to say to 10 year ago, Jason. But so what, what, ago, what would you say to 10 year ago then? What's a, a piece of actionable, actionable advice that a young kid listening to this pod could, could draw from? Go do anything else besides gambling. Um, that's. I mean, if you're doing it, you have to really love it. Um, and if you're good at it, you're probably good at other things that are more valuable to society. Um, but I mean, it's it's really if, if you're into the gambling, like you're doing it because you think you can just make lots of money doing it and no other reason. Um, you have to have fun doing it, though. Like, make sure you're always <clears throat> having fun with what you're doing because once gambling stops being fun, like you're, and I don't mean like, like having fun every day, but I mean, like if you're not enjoying the stuff you're betting on, then, you know, you're, you're probably going to start losing money a lot quicker. Yeah, that's well said. And, um, I think a lot of, a lot of people can take away some important stuff from that. And I just want to say, before we close off, this guy was actually like the biggest like minor league and foreign league baseball better at one period of time. It was so absurd. It took me so long to connect the dots that this was you, Jason, but I literally had people reaching out to me on a daily basis of like, I got this Mexican baseball that can't lose. Like we literally will not have a losing week. You need to give me every account you have. I'd be like, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting Mexican baseball in these <laughs> accounts. Two days later, like another guy, another guy. And it was happening forever, but then it was, all these different leagues as well. And uh, yeah, it took me forever to piece it together. Probably could have made a lot of money with you at that time if I wasn't so ignorant. But um, yeah, it's just funny that years later, uh, I figured out that it was actually you. It, it took like a lot of sleuth work, which I'm good at, but it started with like, oh, it's this California guy, you know, he's in, like in a, in a bunker or something like that. <laughs> Funniest stories I would hear about you. And then finally, like it was I don't remember what the what the light bulb moment was for me, but I'm like, I know that guy. I, I had I I had oyster I had like an oyster dinner with that guy at some point or something, and I pieced it all together. But um, yes, definitely one of the biggest minor league 
and foreign baseball betters of all time. Jason White. There was a minor league syndicate, and it was just Jason. It, it, it actually <laughs> was, though. So so many people... I, I, I don't even know that Jason knows the extent to which this stuff was being bet. There was so many people betting this stuff. Like, so many. You definitely did not capitalize on it in the way that you should have at the time. I'm okay <laughs> yeah. in saying that. It got around to literally everyone. Everyone who was betting at that time at some point or another was approached about Mexican baseball. I'll leave it at that. I'm talking everyone. Any people will be listening now and they'll be like, yes, Mexican baseball. I remember, I remember that. And they're going to put it together. Appreciate your time, Jason. Anyone can check out his stuff on VSIN. He's on with Gil a couple times a week and does a bunch of other uh, hits as well. And you can follow him on Twitter at Spreadopedia. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for the time, Jason. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. This has been episode 57 of Circles Off. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Any other platform, please rate and review five stars, and we'll be back next week. 